Welcome to Truth Well Spoken, the official podcast for McCann Health and an opportunity to connect across disciplines, companies, and countries in our mutual pursuit of endless truth-seeking. I'm your host, Matt Silver, and to help me introduce today's episode, we've once again brought back Steve Hoffman. What's up, Steve? Hey, Matt. What's going on? So for episode six, it was such an honor to be joined by Hilary Gentile, the global chief strategy officer for McCann Health, who talked about her new book, Brand Plan Rx, which she co-authored with Marcus Saba. And Steve, tell us about our guest interviewer. Yeah, we, we had a really good opportunity to, to get Hillary and Rodney Sexton together, who is uh, the lead of the strategy department here at McCann Health, New Jersey. And they really had a rich conversation just going back and forth, kind of pick Rodney picked her brain about the book. Um, and something that a lot of people might not know is that Rodney actually has a background in acting. Um, and he even found some time to do a little improv bit with Hillary, which was a lot of fun. It made for a lot of laughs and really just a great conversation. Yeah, agreed. It was a fantastic conversation. And together they brought the perfect chemistry to the interview. So, uh, okay, since no one tuned in to hear from you and me today, Steve, let's get right into it. Here are Rodney and Hillary discussing Brand Plan Rx. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. It is my pleasure to be speaking with Hilary Gentile today, the author of the new book, Brand Plan Rx. And uh, let's jump in, and I'll give you a Mike Wallace question right from the beginning. How exactly do you pronounce your last name? I said Gentile, is that correct? I love that you said Gentile, uh, Rodney. Um, actually, yeah, my my last name depends on where I am of how I pronounce my last name. It's actually a great question. Because uh, uh, when I'm in Europe, when I'm like when I'm that passport, I'm showing that passport to the customs folks. I kind of change my accent to Gentile, and then when I'm back in the U.S., I say Gentile because nobody knows what I'm talking about if not. Um, but I will tell you that it's um, it's definitely been uh, an adoption because I went to Smith College, and taking on my husband's name was definitely a um, a decision that took a lot of time. So now I'm excited to be able to pronounce his name in a good way. Okay, so sometimes um, Gentile, no, sometimes uh, sometimes Gentile, but never Gentile. Never Gentile uh, okay. uh, at all, ever. Okay, good Gentile to know. Gentile is much more of my favorite. Yes, exactly. Good to know. All right, so before we get into the book, um, can you talk a bit about your experience of working on pharma brands? I know you have a long history I think between us, um, we could qualify to be the uh, the Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi of the pharma industry. Give us a little bit on your experience. I love that. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. that that's It's an interesting question because um, I've worked in health forever, I feel like. And um, my experience, I think, would be anything going from... Um, feeling as if I'm a product manager, all the way to really learning data and analytics now, which is my new passion. Um, but regardless of kind of what hat I have or how long I've been doing this, I really think about pharma brands as if I were starting up a new company, starting up a small pharma company, and if I had to mortgage my house and sell that brand, how would I make it successful? So that's kind of how I think about pharma marketing. Um, and the experience is really helpful because I've learned a lot along the way. And part of the urban legend around your careers that you were discovered in an elevator, were you just hanging out in random elevators? How did that happen? <laughs> that's great. That sounds very uh, scary, uh, but uh, no. I actually am afraid of elevators, deathly afraid because I'm claustrophobic. But uh, it is true. So I had left medical school. I have nine doctors in my family. A lot of folks know that I speak about that all the time. Um, and I thought that I wanted to be a doctor forever. And so I was, uh, I had just gotten accepted to Stern um, for an MBA program. And I was visiting a cousin who worked for CDM because uh, he was going to give me some tips. He had just graduated from, from Stern MBA program. And in the elevator, after meeting with my cousin, 
um, a person from CDM actually asked me uh, to, for a job. They gave me a job offer in the elevator. I went back up the elevator instead of going down and I sat down with them and uh, I took the job. So that's true. It's not a fallacy. Excellent. So starting from that elevator and going all the way until the time that you realized you had a book in you that you needed to get out. Um, what made this the right time to bring this all together and to uh, to deliver Brand Plan RX? Yeah, it's interesting because I had been for the last few years, um, I was very honored to guest lecture at University of North Carolina at their healthcare MBA program. A good friend of mine that I met a client, a former client from Lilly, uh, is a professor there, Marcus Saba. And he asked me to guest lecture on a few different subjects, um, including positioning and branding and big ideas. And the students, it's amazing how fascinating and brilliant these students are. They kept asking us questions about the basics and our experience. How do you put a brand plan together? How do you really tackle making the decisions around brand plans? So it felt like it was incumbent upon us to collate and put together a story. And as we were putting that story together, um, honestly, COVID hit. And that was um, around February last year. I remember that I was on a flight uh, coming back from Shanghai and I was writing my notes for my next lecture. And um, uh, when I landed, uh, I re we realized that we were going to be grounded for a while. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to be grounded. I'm not going to be traveling around uh, like a lunatic for the you know, for foreseeable future. Um, and why don't I really make this a priority? So I know it sounds um, a little cross, but it was the gift of COVID that I think got me to get it together and create those questions into a book. And talk a bit about the the mix of you and and Marcus and your histories. I mean, how many brand plans do you think that the the two of you have written between you? And and was this like you know the old commercial where chocolate meets peanut butter, or what has this collaboration been like? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Rodney, I want to write my next book with you because I think we'd have the chocolate peanut butter thing going on. But nice. um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Marcus and I, you know, what's really interesting. He obviously uh, not obviously um, he's a pharma guy, right? So he's been living in the pharma shoes of a lot of our clients. Uh, and he's he grew up at Lilly. So he sat and have to really understood what it takes and decision making around getting a budget approved and really thinking through bringing a team along um, to to um, to build ideas that's really going to galvanize the team to achieve their goals for a brand. So he has a great critical linear thinking understanding of that marketing process. And then, um, honestly, I always am challenging ways in which to get to that best idea, to not settle when it comes to is that, um, is that environmental understanding about the marketplace the right kind of understanding. So we did have this kind of yin-yang um, where he brought that kind of foundational understanding, practicality, and I was able to, I think, go a little bit deeper and challenge him and then think about new ways of bringing together a brand plan. So it was a great collaboration. It was uh, it was very congenial, but we had some some uh, tense conversations when it was about how you all have you how you have always done marketing or do you need to really advance it and modernize it? Well, give us give us the dirt. What was the biggest fight? <laughs> Um, yeah, God, we had so, we had so many like big guys. Um, one of the big one is positioning and insight development. Um, I, you know, I really feel like we are way, way, way too formulaic when it comes to building positioning statements and, um, there's not like a formula. Um, I know we want to try to formulize and codify things, but I don't think there's a perfect formula for coming to a positioning or an insight. Um, you have to really seek understanding and then go with your gut based on your understanding of the marketplace and really listening to the consumer's needs. 
Um, and Marcus um, wanted to really have templates for things because that's kind of how he grew up. So that was one of, that's like philosophical kind of rub that we had. Um, but honestly, what was great is we, we duped it out. And after we duped it out, I think we got to a great place. Well, the book is full of real world examples. Um, I'm assuming brands that both of you have worked on over your career. But, you know, sometimes we learn the most from mistakes. What's one of your professional disasters that informed your writing of the book? Yeah. Um, so I've I've had a couple of professional disasters, to be honest with you. I think that um, along the way in any career, you're going to have setbacks. And I don't think it's a cliche that we learn uh, from our disasters, but also that we learn a lot about ourselves and what we want to do, what we don't want to do. Um, there was a situation where I was given, I, I actually uh, grew up at McCann Health, New Jersey. It is my home base. Um, and when I was working at McCann Health, New Jersey, um, I was given a position of both strategist and business leader at the same time. And uh, what was interesting is that is, it's very hard for me, it was very hard to, to, to do both. Um, to both help build relationship with clients and look at the business overall, um, as well as be the custodian of the consumer, of the marketplace, of ideation. Um, and so it was it was pretty much of a disaster because I was trying to do much and I wasn't enrolling the team in my decisions. I was kind of running with decisions. And I realized that I had to take a pause moment and I was probably too, doing too much. And that's why when I doubled down on strategy even further. Cool. So as I was reading the book, it struck me as sort of an owner's manual like you would have in your car. It doesn't teach you how to drive the car, doesn't teach you how to market with this book, but it teaches you how to very specifically put together a, a brand plan. So who is this book for and who's it not for? Yeah, I love the owner's manual idea, although I always lose owner, owner's manuals. <laughs> I don't know where the hell they go to. So I'm hoping that this is like a bunch of different foundations all in one place at your fingertips. Um, but uh, so this book is for the everyday marketer, uh, someone who is starting out, um, who's probably been marketing maybe two or three years, or they've been at an agency for a couple of years and they're starting to get into their stride. And it then becomes their responsibility to either participate or drive or lead uh, or ideate around a brand plan. Um, what I find interesting is that's the target audience. So the target audience is going to be our clients who uh, it's their remit to be part of that team and to try to come up with the best ideas and really challenge what the brand's doing or, or helping the brand launch. I think the other folks who are gonna really benefit this is um, I'm, I'm hearing also from online, from uh, kind of Amazon uh, back, you know, feedback, is health tech companies are starting to get into the health industry who don't know our sector as well. They're using this as a foundation, even if they are, they're seasoned marketers, perhaps in a different sector, um, you know, automobiles or any kind of uh, CPG type area, uh, they're using this as a foundational tool as well. So that's that's kind of cool. So you're brave enough to read the comments online? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. At first, I wasn't. I was a little afraid, to be honest. Marcus was sending me texts about about the comments. But um, uh, to be honest, we've had some great feedback. Um, I will tell you that, you know, I, I had the uh, pleasure of working with uh, Ariana Huffington uh, last year on her first responders uh, initiative for mental health for first responders. And I got to know her a little bit and I was brave enough to send her uh, my manuscript to her apartment in New York. Um, and she's been so wonderful in just giving me advice and encouragement. So uh, I'll tell you, that's been um, uh, very, I'm very honored that that's also been great feedback after her taking a look at it and being able to see it. So you got the full HuffPo. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Thrive. 
Thriving so, around the Blanca. Well, then talk, talk a bit about that, about that, that bravery. Where does that come from? Oh, boy. That's a deep question, Rodney. You always, like, get these zingers. Um, because I could answer that very simply and, and talk about perhaps, um, you know, that, that uh, my mistakes had helped me make, become braver. But actually, I think the bravery is that I grew up really fast. Uh, my mom passed away when I was a freshman in high school, and she was sick many years before that. And I had to be a self-starter even in my family. I had to figure things out, be resourceful. Um, my dad's a doctor. Uh, he was really involved in a lot of fundraising. So I used to be his date in those fundraisers and sit at the table with all kinds of folks um, on boards and all that kind of thing. And so I realized that a person is a person and I'm not really afraid to speak with anyone regardless of what they've accomplished and really treating people with respect um, regardless of where they come from. So I think it's from that kind of um, calamity that I dealt with in my life and kind of my experience is that uh, you know I'm resilient and resourceful. Excellent. So at a time in your life where you probably are feeling the least confident, life changes and you are made the most vulnerable. Um, that's, I guess, makes you very strong. Yes, yes. Um, I think that uh, when you experience, and I, I know a lot of us have experienced different kinds of aspects of our lives, whether we're finding about, out about who we are, uh, whether something's affected us personally, I think that is the moment where you learn um, what what's really in you, what it takes, and that you can accomplish really anything uh, when you've been put through something that's a life calamity. So I agree. So, you know, you think about any great strategy book, it could really be also used as a life manual and a career manual. And you think about the the brand plan rx if you applied that to the uh hillary gentile brand what is what is the core of your brand plan yeah wow so um my brand plan i guess it it, it starts with who i am based on where i am in my life right and if we looked at um you know what is the brand like the foundation of the brand plan um, first of all, I'm a visual thinker. Um, I'm always drawing and doodling and I think that I need a map. So if I think about like a map and I think about the brand plan against my life and what that map is, um, from an outside in thinking perspective, now is the greatest changes that are happening, um, around my life and around the industry. So in my life, I have an 11 and a 14 year old. And they are testing me every day. I have to really think about having resilience, which is core to who I am, as well as being ingenuity, having ingenuity to try to think about how to create relationships with them that they trust and thinking about um, uh, it on their terms. I think it's also applicable in what we're doing in the health world right now. Um, because in the health world right now, there are so many changes happening and we need to think about how we can be more ingenious and take risks, um, but really listen to what matters um, in, in those changes happening. So I hope I answered your question, Rodney, but um, my core of my brand plan is about that balance between being resilient, listening and learning, and having that ingenuity to kind of um, invent new things and create better relationships. Well, you you just mentioned your your two kids, and also in uh, in the book you talk about identifying the brand's superpowers. Um, how are your superpowers uh, with your kids? Do they roll their eyes at your superpowers? <laughs> yes. You know, I, I will tell you a quick story that is super embarrassing. So I I think I held a working session at my house at one point when I was. Um, pregnant with my second child I and I couldn't uh, get up anymore. And so I held like a working session workshop at my house and I had a flip chart um, in my house and I've kept that all along. And 
when we started with COVID and they were asking me about the science of immunology and asking me what all kinds of terms were, whether it was antibodies, I brought that damn flip, flip chart out and I started drawing for them. They wanted to kill me. So when you said roll your eyes, um, that's what I thought about. Um, but uh, I will tell you that um, when you think about superpowers, I think that that defining your superpower is not easy. It is not easy. It is really, really hard. Um, I think a lot of times we want those superpowers to be things that we aspire or we admire in other folks, but we're not really honest about what are we great at and what, how can we make an impact? And some of my superpowers totally don't make an impact on my kids, you know, like, um, like pushing back and, um, being perseverant, uh, it doesn't, doesn't really work. Um, but uh, I will tell you that defining that superpower just as advice, I think is something that's introspective, but really important as a person in life. And then also in advising our clients with brands. So how, I mean, it seems to be one of the most challenging things. How do you do it? And how do you make sure that you're keeping yourself honest in the process? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, I admire you, Rodney. I am really happy that you're a part of us. Um, you're an incredible thinker. And I, and, I, and I mentioned that purposefully because if you went into a room and I went into a different room, whether it's virtual or not, and we assessed the marketplace and took a look at what consumers need and understand the connection points um, and really, really think about what that brand or asset at the time has, you and I might come up with two very different superpowers for a brand. And to be honest, both of them might be incredibly effective. And I mention that because there isn't a right answer. There is only an answer that you feel uh, that that you feel you've done the due diligence about understanding how this and it's not even a brand yet sometimes, right? A product or an asset can actually make a difference in someone's life based on what they're contending with, how the winds are shifting, and what what um, is already out there uh, that you want to try to create a uh, purple cow around. So um, I don't think it's easy. I think you have to do your homework to understand the place that you want to own, but I don't think that there is only one answer. I think it depends also on where you source and your co-creation of the group. And you and I do share a superpower great shoes. <laughs> yes, I don't know. I think you win on that. Mine are just have platforms against them more so, but yeah, I think you win. <laughs> so when you think about, you know, the the universe of strategy books that are out there, like the shelves are packed full, um, but there aren't a lot um, specific to the pharmaceutical industry. You could have written about almost anything and stood out as a pharma book. What made you focus specifically on the brand plan as your first uh, book in this space? Yeah, that's a terrific question. And um, so the word plan, if you think about the word plan, uh, and you know, we belabored over what to call this, you could imagine, uh, that was another tension point, because <laughs> um, you, you want something to be very intuitive. But the word plan, it means, I think it means something like intention or decision, and when you're thinking about marketing anything, it, it doesn't matter what it is. If you don't have a plan, I don't think you have a path. I don't think you have a place. And uh, it's also about making decisions. So I really felt um, very encouraged by starting with the first time that I wrote a book, something that's really foundational that everybody could use, that's really accessible, foundational, that we could build off of, and that gives you that head and heart. Uh, I don't even think it's a spine. I think it's like, it's your brain and your heart, um, your brand plan, and then you build off of that to understand the impact you're gonna have in the world. So I think it's the foundational element. So what's different about developing a brand plan in healthcare versus for a consumer brand? Yeah, so 
when we think about healthcare, I think like healthcare is almost like if you live if you live in uh, if if you survive and live in Manhattan, you can actually survive and live anywhere. It's the same thing for for pharma. I think it's very difficult to actually market health brands, especially because many many of our consumers, our constituents, um, are not they don't need they don't look for they don't want they need it but they don't want the brand. So number one, I think that if you're a pharmaceutical marketer. Um, you are, it's the most difficult job in the world. And I also think what, and then what makes it different is that uh, there are multiple, multiple stakeholders, right? We're in a B to B to B to C to C business, meaning we have health systems, um, we have payers, we have hospitals, we have doctors, we have pharmacists, we have consumers, we have uh, co-patients. You know, we have a lot of folks that we have to appeal to and you have to really make a decision on what's the white thread that's going to really propel that brand forward. Um, and a lot of times in supermarketing, you have a very uh, specific target that you can really build around. So there's a lot of different different elements. I, I could go on and on, but those are the two that come to mind. Well, let, let's get into the nuts and bolts then of some of the things that you talk about in the book. And I'll start with some things that struck me that I wasn't smart enough to, to answer. So I need you to answer for me. You recommend um, that marketers triangulate data to find an insight. And I think that that's so brilliant, but I always come to the same point. Well, that's great, but how? Yeah. So. You know what's interesting is the word data right now. I feel like it's uh, getting thrown around like a promiscuous word. You know, um, I think that first and foremost, what I mean in there by data is first we need to think about our clinical and our scientific data, and then we also have to think about our human data, our behavioral, our psychological, our buying and purchase um, behavior data. And that's the first element. And when we talk about triangulating the data, it's a kind of a highfalutin word for saying that, what is it that we need to know um, about the people that we're appealing to that actually matters? And a lot of times, you know, when we think about that word data, I said it's a promiscuous word because I think we throw it around. And what it actually just means is greater understanding around the people that we're appealing to or the marketplaces or the compounds um, that we're selling. So triangulation, I think, is putting the pieces together about what we understand about the person, what we understand about that asset, and what do we understand about the environment um, that matters and how we could actually make a difference. So it's bringing all the pieces together. Which is kind of like telling a drowning person to just calm down and breathe um, because our clients are drowning in data. Um, if you're drowning in this data and you don't know what's important, how do you triangulate or what do you or what do you what do they have to do, you know, get out of yeah. it and how do they get an objective view so that they can even start the process of triangulating? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, one of our colleagues, Gordon, has said this many times. We um, have to really understand what is the problem we're solving. So I feel like sometimes it's overwhelming because, to your point, um, it seems like this ocean that you don't even know where to start. But when we define what the problem is we're starving, um, what problem we're solving, then we can start to unpack what is it that we need to know to solve that problem. And sometimes it's going to be a yin yang kind of or a uh, zigzag kind of relationship where you think you might have that problem that you're going to solve. But the information, you know, just just starting to understand how a person where they are in the situation of their life. Right. If it's a um, for example, if you're thinking about somebody who has multiple myeloma, and a lot of times we characterize people with multiple myeloma as patients suffering from multiple myeloma. We never think about uh, the situation that that person is in, regardless of their disease. So let's start hunting and looking for that information. Um, is this a mom? Is she taking care of her parents? Is she taking care of kids? 
Has she, does she have any other types of ailments going on? Uh, is she working part-time? Is she not, is she a full-time? Um, what are her belief, what's her belief system? What is, what is her religion? What is her, um, what are her interests? By asking, uh, starting with the person, I think, and just starting to roll up your sleeves and get to know your target, then you can start uh, from there asking other questions about the environment and then asking other questions about uh, your compounds or your brand and how that's going to really answer the needs of that person. So I think A, it's starting, get it started. Uh, B, asking what uh, problem you're solving and then uh, see how all that comes together. Seems like a big part that we often miss. Um, because it sounds like what you're saying is it's not just know your customer, but know their context. Yes. Yeah, I love that. And we focus I, on the customer a lot, but not on context. Uh, to be honest with you, I think that that is the next frontier uh, for us. I think understanding context, conditions, and the frame of reference. Um, an, another phrase that people throw, throw around that I don't know if we all really take a pause moment, just take a moment and really think about what we mean by that, is that what are the, what are the factors um, and the values uh, and, and the um, situation, the context, as you said, that will influence decision-making moving forward? And that's, that creates a different frame of reference for that brand. So just getting very practical then, if they make context a seventh C, do you and I make money? <laughs> I hope so. Okay. Well, we should write that next book. <laughs> okay. Let's work, let's work on that. Let's work on that. <laughs> Speaking of McCann Health and, you know, our, our six C's process, we talk a lot about truth. In the book, you talk about getting to the why. I assume that those are... Um, interchangeable or, or very close. What are the characteristics in your mind of, of a good why um, that would help people really know that they've found it? Yeah, this is like, I think this is the toughest question. And every time I try to like really think about how to answer this question, because it comes up all the time, even when I'm at UNC and I'm teaching, everybody wants to know the secret formula of the why. Um, so I think one thing that I ask myself is when we uh, think about why does a brand exist uh, and then why is this brand going to make a difference in this person's life? If you feel like you could add that your uh, partner or your uh, I don't know, somebody in your life could really answer that question without a second thought, and it would be absolutely obvious, you probably haven't gone deep enough. So I think it has to be something that what is, is a little bit surprising, is creating a little bit of tension, um, is something that you haven't necessarily thought about before. However, once you say it out loud, everybody's like, oh my God, yeah, that's the why. I get it. I totally get it. So I think you have to dig enough, but you don't want to go too deep. So we're getting into like uh, being on a couch with a psychiatrist, you know. Um, so there's there's a point where it really matters. Um, and that that also you'd be really proud to say, I found out this why. And I think this why is something that no one else has discovered before. That's... Um... That's a that's putting a heap and helping of expectation on you right there. <laughs> yeah, you do this every day. You do this every day. So and so does so do our teams. So and I think you know, every day I ask myself why. <laughs> I think we I think McCann Health uh, Strategy folks are the are the best why people in the business though. So I think that should be our new strap line, our new tagline. Absolutely. So in yeah. the in the positioning section of the book, you talk about you highlight the five deadly sins of positioning, best of both worlds, <laughs> kitchen sink, normalcy, freedom, uh, gold standard and go to brand. 
we've all been in that situation with clients. You put them up on, you know, on a slide and you get the head nodding and they're all just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then not 10 minutes later, they're like, yeah, but our brand, yeah, we're the exception. We really are one of those five things. How do you get people off of just like practically, how do you get people off that? Yeah. So this is something, and I was, um, I, I was in this situation recently. I'm going to talk about an old story though. Um, I was with a, a client who has now become one of the CEOs of a pharma company. Uh, that's how old I am. I've talked about being in this for years. And I was asked to sub in for someone last minute and present the positioning of a very important brand to this company. And I was in front of the room. It was in that, a big U-shaped room with the lights out and the projectors on. And I had my high heels on and been waiting for the meeting. And, and I was nervous. And I'm in front of the room. And we have a, um, I mean, we, we did a lot of research, uh, quantitative, qualitative. Um, we did ethnography for this brand. And I'm presenting the positioning uh, to this gentleman. And he says to me, well, this is not going to work because you've left out the other part, which is how safe the drug is. And I looked at him and I said, well, I just want you to know that if you want me to sell efficacy, safety, dosing, side effects and um, administration, then you pretty much have a laundry list of every single brand on the marketplace. Um, and uh, you're never going to be able to sell the sell our drug that's in a very, very competitive marketplace by not creating a place, not creating a place for this brand. Um, and I will tell you that I was scared shitless. I don't know if I can swear on this, but I was really scared to death of saying that. But because of my um, courage, to be to speak my mind and look directly at this gentleman, um, that relationship has continued over time, and he really respected my candor because a lot of times um, our clients look to us to have that ruthless truth, to really be very honest with them and be their partners and not just their agency uh, partners. So I realized that that was a specific situation, and it takes courage. Um, I've used other techniques, uh, Rodney, with other people where I've had to prove to them why a go-to-market strategy, you know, or go to, um, you know, this is our go-to choice. Um, would and a lot of times I'll use techniques like if you were a rep, a sales rep in an elevator. Not that that's going to happen anytime soon, but if you were a sales rep in an elevator. Would you tell them that it's the go-to brand? Wouldn't you tell them why it's the go-to brand? Isn't it the fact that a rep's not gonna have anything to stick their teeth into? If you're talking at a bar at, after a launch meeting um, to a, you know, a, a key opinion leader and you're telling them, um, you know, asking them what really resonated with them, do they say it's their, because it's their go-to brand or because it's the best of both worlds? It's usually not the answer. So um, so those are some techniques. One's a little courage and another is trying to be very um, practical and kind of role play. And then you always have the option of taking off that high heel shoe and throwing it at them. <laughs> yes, yes. Which would cause a major issue, major problem, major problem. Major problem. One area, um, as I was reading the book, that got me really excited, uh, almost to the point of violent agreement, um, is the point that you make about testing expressions of positioning and not positioning itself. I mean, I've seen so many examples of positioning research where doctors have no idea what they're looking at. Um, so what yeah. should we be testing to really, um, you know, most of our clients don't have the patience to wait for a concept to test the, to be an expression of the, uh, of the positioning. What should they test? Yeah. So I think we have to revolutionize this and I would, I would love us to take this on uh, at McCann Health, New Jersey. Um, there is no way that the two for that, so that statement, which is scarily 
sometimes what we put in front of clients, uh, in front of doctors or patients, or even a premise promise proof um, is going to be anything that they're going to see ever again, besides being in the dark room um, or, or us watching them from behind the glass, right? That's just never going to happen. So what should we be testing? I think there's two ways of going in my mind, and I, I didn't explicitly define this in the book. I think one way of going is what would be uh, a very simple um, way of uh, if the headline were in Fast Company magazine or, you know, understanding how someone in the press would write about our brand, what would be that paragraph? What would be those couple of points and that headline? What would we want somebody to be writing about why our brand has changed how people think about diabetes? Um, I think that's one way of going, uh, of really showing what it would be in the marketplace. Um, I think another way of going is literally getting people to build uh, based on um, what we come up with as multiple superpowers, because we're kind of testing superpowers against each other, um, get them to really sell, cross-sell. So imagine if you had two focus groups and they get briefed and they get 30, 40 minutes to build a story. They have to convince the other three or four doctors or patients, depending on how we're testing this, why this brand is going to be better than what they have out there now. Make them really do the work. Um, and by them having to do that work, we will um, understand what our positioning is coming out of it. It's uh, it's almost like testing it from the outside in, um, something yeah. that is the, the ultimate expression of inside out thinking. A absolutely. And I bet you could come up with a million other ways of doing this. And I, I think this is white space that really needs to be blown up. How we're doing it now needs to be blown up, but absolutely outside in thinking. My methodology has been rejected a lot, which is to stop testing positioning, but um, yeah, maybe we could come up with something else. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't cover the CYA factor that we have to deal with. <laughs> that, that That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you we, we had talked a, a bit earlier about the, the seven deadly sins. And as we're putting together a plan, you know, I think marketers are by nature, um, the best marketers are by nature greedy. Um, so they do, that's part of why they want to have it all in there. But as you, as you look at putting a brand plan together. Um, are there parts of the plan that clients overcomplicate, easy parts that they overcomplicate and hard parts that they oversimplify? Yeah, so I think the uh, part that they overcomplicate is the situational analysis. Um, it's not only that they overcomplicate it, I think that they rely on um, facts versus interpretation too much. And what I mean by that, I talk about the environmental pulse. And that environmental pulse is just getting an understanding of what era are we in when it comes to HIV? Uh, what does it feel like right now? What is exciting on the horizon? What are, what are we worrying about on the horizon? It's much more um, intangible than it is tangible the way in which uh, I think we all have to look at foundational understanding of the environment. I think what clients do sometimes is they rely so much on quote unquote data that they don't take a step back and understand what does it actually mean? What do those data mean? If you have a new brand RX climbing and you have more places on formulary than before, or um, you have um, more doctors retiring in a certain area, what does that actually mean? And what does it mean for an opportunity or, or for a challenge? So I think that's, I think that's part of the question. Um, I think I answered part of your question. It's, it's almost like you're saying they overcomplicate the selling and oversimplify the marketing. Yes, I love that. I'm gonna use that. I love that. Yes. Yours, no, no TM required. <laughs> Well, and, and that, that takes us to uh, an, another concept in, in the book that really excited me, which is this idea of yes and thinking as a way to build uh, toward greater innovative ideas. Um, 
as someone who uh, has a degree in theater, uh, I know yes and as an, as an improv technique, which mm-hmm. basically is, is a, an acting technique where regardless of what your acting partner throws at you, you just have to accept it as the truth and you build on it. Um, and that's the, it takes the rejection out of it. It takes the, uh, the the judgment out of it, and you just accept it and you you build from there. Um, and yes and thinking is not easy. So I wanted to throw out some some examples of some statements and and you can show us how to build on on these by going yes and after these statements. Cool. I'm ready. Ready to, I'm ready to try. Okay, yeah, first I'm scared one. Cuz you I think you're going to be better at this than I am, but I'm going to I'll do my best. Well, let's let's start with an easy one. Okay. The statement is wherever he goes, your dog Jake is the smartest one in the room. Go. <laughs> Yes, and he could probably teach you a lot about when to um, lean into my most vulnerable times. Okay, a slightly (laughs) harder one. That's good. That's good. Okay, good. Slightly harder one. The statement is, this book will not only make you a better marketer, it will make you a better lover. (laughs) Yes, and that one, please. Oh, my Lord. Uh, Yes, and uh, there's no brand plan. There's no map uh, for lovers, but uh, oh my Lord. But uh, I do believe there's a map for how to focus on what's going to make a difference to the person you love every time. Excellent. It's interesting that you went toward love and not screwing the competition. So that's very interesting. (laughs) So last one, graduate level here. Here's the, here's the statement. Hillary Gentile is responsible for all the best parts of this book. What you got? (laughs) Yes. And I would be uh, remiss if I didn't say that um, a lot of the parts of the book that I'm really, really proud of is what I've been learning through working with people at McCann Health. I know that sounds cheeseball, but it's it's actually a really, really important point. And that Marcus Saba guy wasn't chump change either. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So yeah. obviously kidding, but so seriously, how how do you find the yes in an idea and how do you turn off that part oh. of your brain that wants to just judge it and and fix it instead of making it better? Yeah. So I think I think uh, experienced marketers, this is one of the hardest things they have, because especially if you've worked if you've worked in MS all your life, it's very, very hard for you and not even all your life. Say it's been for two years. Um, It's very hard to say, but we did that already. But that's not going to work. But let me tell you more. There's always a but versus a yes. And so a lot of times what I will try to recommend to folks um is how how is it that you could actually listen to the people in the room and learn something that you never thought was possible before i try to get folks to think about what is it that they haven't thought about that might be a possibility instead of what can't be done um and i think this is important too when we think about uh you know some of the folks in evidence i told you my dad's a doctor and there's a lot of doctors in my family A lot of times those folks go to um, practically what's possible versus dreaming what could be. And so I think as marketers, we have to always think about what that could be is and constantly challenge um, naysayers uh, and trying to think about the opportunity. I think yes is one of the hardest words for most of us to say. Yeah. I mean, sure. not not just as an answer to something, but just as a as an idea and, and throwing ourselves in and uh, just going into things with a yes attitude. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. You uh, you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of interesting acronyms in the book, and then you also have some new um, new ideas in the book. One of those, and I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, Nemawashi. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about about that. 
Yeah, so Nemawashi, and I'm, you know, I'm lucky enough that I have a global position where I've been traveling, except for COVID, uh, a lot, and um, learned this word um, uh, from our Japanese colleagues. So what's interesting is anytime you want to drive an agenda, and I think it's important to understand that a brand plan is an agenda. This is your brand's agenda that you need to get signed off by many people in the organization and you need them to believe and champion um, your plan as something that's really going to make a difference. That can't be just thrown upon people. This concept is really successive inputting and enrollment in an idea. So it's um, helping to bring people in, enroll them to the process and feel like they're part of what you're building. And by the time you present your brand plan, you've already met with so many of those stakeholders, as many as you can that are part of that decision-making, that it's, um, it's not a surprise. It's actually something that they feel like they took part in building together. So it's a great concept and it works. That's great. So. It's been a, an amazing conversation. I'm so I feel so privileged to have had a chance to talk to you. But take us along uh, on this final question. Take us along on your journey. What's next for you? God, Rodney, I uh, I'm excited about just uh, taking a little time uh, this summer first, and um, I'm gonna take my kids to camp, and we're gonna go to North Carolina and spend some time down North Carolina enjoying and driving around there. So that's first. I know that's not what you meant, but I am excited about that because I all I think we all need to disconnect. I think in the long run, um, what I'm excited about is thinking about what, how health, this moment in health, is um, an accelerant. To, COVID's given, given uh, health really an accelerant. How do we take advantage of how we can become more modern marketers and applying data and applying customer experience in everything we do? So what's next for me is really thinking about completely different ways of driving health and wellness um, and standing up that uh, discipline uh, as, as much as possible globally. Um, that's really what, what I'm interested in. Um, what I'd love to do is my side job uh, is I'd love to really help people with simplification and presentation skills. So I'm um, I was just talking to a friend yesterday even and thinking about creating almost like a um, an on demand uh, on the weekend service to help, uh, you know, young marketers understand how to simplify and tell stories because that's uh, that's definitely a passion of mine. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. It is my duty to call you boss, but it's my pleasure to call you friend. Oh, thanks, Rodney. This has been amazing. And what wonderful questions coming out of the beautiful mind of uh, Rodney Sexton. So enjoy it and um, love thinking with you every day. So thank you for, for the privilege of speaking to everyone. That's all we've got for today. Thanks again to Hillary for being today's guest and to Rodney for being our guest host. Brand Plan RX is available at Amazon.com or visit BrandPlanRx.com to learn more about the book and its authors. You can subscribe to Truth Well Spoken on your podcast network of choice and let us know what you'd like to hear on a future episode by emailing podcast at McCann.com. My fellow podcast producers are Abby Nyken, Steve Hoffman, and Andy Fontana. Until next time, I'm Matt Silver, and this has been Truth Well Spoken.